listen to The Midnight Watch, where I'm always standing on watch for you against bad movies. I'm Philip Pye. And I'm Nicholas Allen. And tonight's film is Independence Day Resurgence. On this day in 1996, the world escaped the clutches of extinction. Your father was the bravest man I've ever seen. We all lost someone we love. But in their sacrifice, we found the technology to build a stronger and safer Earth. Because our survival is only possible when we stand together. Oh my God. A distress call. Why are they screaming? They're not screaming. They're celebrating. They're coming back. 20 years after the events of the original Independence Day, the world finds itself in danger once again when the aliens respond to a distress beacon that was sent way back 20 years ago when they were first defeated, but it took them a while to get it. They get it, they come to Earth and wreak havoc once again, and now humanity must make a stand one more time to defeat the aliens. Phil, what did you think of Independence Day Resurgence? Uh, I would describe it similar to riding like a theme park roller coaster where you had the opening tease and then the first dip. Then you're kind of in the middle and just kind of going. Then you get the big hill at the end and then it's like, yeah! So uh, I guess I'll start with the good. Uh, all the overturn actors are pretty good. Goldblum, Brit Spiner, Data... Jeff Goldblum's Who oh, you didn't know I forget by his real thing. name. So I'm all, <laughs> I was like, Brett Spider, and you're like, who's Brett Spider? I'm like, Data. You're it's like, just Data. oh, Data. I'm sorry. He's <laughs> known for two things. Like I said, this series and Star Trek. Yeah. He's done a couple of voiceover roles, but like I said, it, there are certain people from that show that get name recognition, like Patrick Stewart or LeVar Burton. Kunta. Well, oh, Whoopi Goldberg, yeah, that did other stuff, but he is basically been David and this character. Yeah. <laughs> so, Judd Hirsch is uh, yeah, that's right, Judd Jeff Goldblum's that's dad. Right. And uh, Bill Palmer, right, as the president. Yeah, and the weird thing, it doesn't look like Judd Hirsch is aged at all. No, it, really it looks exactly doesn't. the same. <laughs> like, it's kind of weird. It's yeah. like, why is everybody else like older? Because I know he's older than Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum's in his 60s. So it's like... So, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's really weird because it's like, it's your dad, but... He kind of looks like your brother at this <laughs> <Yeah>. point. <laughs> but yeah, all of their performances are good and pretty humorous. And the opening tease with the distress beacon, the mystery is fun. Uh, the new characters are hit and miss. Uh, I like the president's daughter who I didn't... Forgot May- about this was played by Mae Whitman actually in the first movie. Yeah, I don't know why we talked about that hurt. before <laughs> on one of our other recordings. We talked about okay. the fact that Mae Whitman. Or I brought it up. I was like, I think it's weird that they. I guess they got Makai Monroe because she's more attractive per se, and Mae Whitman. That's gotta be it because it's not yeah. like she's more famous than Mae Whitman, and Mae well, Whitman is a good actress. She's up and so. coming because you know oh, she yeah. was also in It Follows, the star <laughs> yeah. of It Follows. So she's up and coming, but at the same time. It's, I think it just came down to you look hotter than Mae Whitman, yeah. so we chose you so you can be the love interest for Liam Hemsworth. And uh, Liam Hemsworth is hit and miss. At first, he's really, really unlikable because he has a backstory related to Will Smith's uh, played by and, Jesse Usher. And you really see 
Like, it, it's really not sympathetic at all towards no, the Yeah, they try They try really hard by bringing up the fact that he's an orphan, but I'm like, even being an orphan doesn't excuse what you did. You're an asshole, and I don't really care for yeah, you. Yeah, like, he's basically a typical surefire trying to prove myself. Maverick. But he's such a screw-up to the point where it's just like, yeah, you're really not likable. Basically, his only redeeming quality is he... Acknowledges he's a screw up, so basically most of this movie is him trying to make it up to his girlfriend. Well, he only acknowledges the president's daughter, Jesse Usher, that yeah, I screwed up. Well, the problem with that is too, he only acknowledges it after Jesse Usher has punched him in the face for what happened all that time ago, and then that's when it decides. And they don't tell you what happened to it later, so you're thinking, okay, maybe it's some kind of a misunderstanding. But once you find out what happens, like, oh no, like. Well, when they show you, I do respect the fact they didn't wait too long. Yeah, but they show you what happened like five minutes later. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, he he was hit and miss, uh, and then the other characters have interesting backstories, but it's kind of one of those things where they, it felt okay. like they kind of need to trim the fat. Okay, Travis Tobe, who plays Liam Hemsworth's best friend, basically fills the Harry Connick Jr. role, but not to the T. But he fits that role, but unlike Harry Connick Jr., who I did find funny, mm-hmm. this guy, oh, no. <laughs> I just found him a little bit irritating. Not to where I'm like, oh my god, kill this character, but it's just like, <laughs> just because he's such a fucking... Klutz, who has no game whatsoever, I have more game than this man. And it's just, you don't believe a person could exist that acts like this. Mm -hmm. Where he sees Angela Baby, that's the actress who plays the character Rain. She's Chinese, and he sees her, and like the first time he sees her, he's like, oh, we're destined to be together. And he actually goes around to her and says something to that nature. I'm like, who talks like that? Who walks up to a girl and is like, yeah, we're destined to be together, so uh, you want to go out for dinner sometime? That's not your opening line. Maybe part of it is I found out apparently that guy is one of the writers of this movie, so maybe that's why. But, yeah, that that was probably one of those times I get Roland Emmerich probably wanted to, you know, give a shout-out to the writers because it took forever to get this movie made. But that's probably one of those things where you probably could should have told him either dial it back or, yeah, we're going to have to cut some of your lines and kind of trim the fact. Because, yeah, Ray is set up to be an interesting character because she has somebody who works in the military, her uncle, and there's this whole thing when the aliens attack, but you really don't get any follow-up on her character because there's like eight... <laughs> I won't say main characters because there's really not they a main character. They have a lot character. of characters. Yeah, there's like eight characters well, that they focus actually, on. Actually, I would argue that the main character is probably Liam Hemsworth because he has the most screen yeah, time next to Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum because so, then there's also an African character who I loved. His name is name in the movie is Dikembe, but his real name is Diobia Opari. I think is how you pronounce it. And I absolutely loved that character. I I didn't think they were gonna go as far with that character. I thought he was gonna be like a small bit at the beginning. That was it. Mm-hmm. But he's actually a supporting character, and he has a really cool killing the movie involving a machete which I'm like alright movie I give you a lot of credit for that mm-hmm. the fact that you could uh, 
show how somebody can take out an alien without using a gun is pretty impressive. Mm, yeah, like essentially he's an African warlord in, I think it was Uganda? Yeah, it's in Uganda. Because basically at the beginning of this movie, we find out apparently there was one mothership that was not destroyed in the original. It suddenly is turned on. It drilled a giant hole in Uganda. So Jeff Gompo is investigating along with this other scientist. Well, it, it drilled the hole back in 96. Oh, okay. Or started drilling the hole back in 96. But then when the attack was cut off, then the drilling stopped. Okay, but then it suddenly turned on. So now... Jeff Goldblum and another scientist. I forget her name. Uh, the scientist is Catherine, played by Charlotte Gaines. Okay, there we go. Yeah, Catherine, they're investigating because she's apparently some kind of psychologist who's been treating the people who've been exposed to the aliens in the first movie. And it's important to note that the Kimbe is one of those people. Mm-hmm. Anybody that had a telepathic connection with the aliens still feels effects from it years later, which is like the whole character art for Bill Pullman's president character, mm-hmm. where now he's a recluse who they just look at as a kooky old man who just is going through basically PTSD. It's like, well, nothing you say is actually true. You're just suffering from PTSD from what happened back in 96, but if they listen to him, a lot of stuff could have been averted. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's a really compelling part of the movie. Like, his character and his struggle is kind of like... I sympathize with the character. Mm-hmm. I mean, I ended up sympathizing more with Brett Spiner as the movie went on. Mm-hmm. Because, in case you're wondering, I'll get that out of the way. It's a tiny spoiler, but people are probably wondering about it anyway. Brett Spiner's character is alive because he was in a coma and not dead in the first movie. Obviously, it's something they retcon, but... <laughs> Whatever. I think it worked out for the better because he is one of the better parts of the movie and has a really big emotional scene later in the movie mm-hmm. that I was like, okay, you got me, movie. I'm actually pretty invested in this scene right here. Mm-hmm. And then, let's see. And then, uh, yeah, and then we also have some backstory with Will Smith's son, Jesse Usher. So, yeah, I think they probably could have trimmed a couple kids because we haven't even brought up there's also, I guess, a government agent. Who's following Jeff Goldblum? Because apparently he's being audited for something. Because I guess Jeff Goldblum wants more research. Because basically this is going with the premise that we use the aliens technology after the first movie. And this is a very technologically advanced world. It's not really like our world anymore. Which is one of the problems I have with the movie. Overall, I did enjoy the movie. But one problem I had right off the get-go where I felt like the movie was really shaky, they don't spend enough time world-building. Mm-hmm. They're taking it on faith that everybody's going to read the graphic novel prequel they made mm-hmm. and go to the viral marketing website. I went to all that stuff, and I read all that stuff, and I was fascinated by it. But I think they should have put that stuff in the movie. Now, I can understand why they didn't put a lot of it in it. Like, for instance, they don't really touch on the U.S. as a whole, like each individual city. They only focus on the cities that have been rebuilt. But what they failed to mention is the fact that not all the cities were rebuilt. In fact, if you go to the viral marketing website, they'll tell you that they chose to leave Las Vegas as a wasteland as a reminder of the War of 96. Not everybody who... Used to inhabit Las Vegas agrees with that, and some of them want to rebuild Las Vegas. But in the meantime, it wasn't the government's priority. Their priority was rebuilding, like, Washington. 
And then the whole plot line with the yeah, that would have been an interesting clue, especially since besides Goldblum investigating, the first part of this movie is basically focused on there's this whole big celebration because this movie takes place around the Fourth of July. Yeah, it so is. So they're having this whole big celebration, like yeah, we're bringing out everybody. They, well, it is the Fourth of July yeah. when it happens. Yeah, it's the 4th of July again, so they're having this big celebration, speeches and all that, and they're telling Jeff Goldblum, like, yeah, you need to be there and all that. So, yeah, it's like, since you were already doing all that. Well, because they got so much stuff that they've crammed into this movie, because then the whole thing with Uganda that they also failed to mention, that was Mm -hmm. mentioned in the viral thing, was that the aliens, there are aliens that survived the 96 attack. Just because their ships went down don't mean all of them died. And it's like an instance like Transformers Revenge of the Fallen where the aliens have been living amongst us but hiding out in the jungles of Uganda. Which is why Uganda is the starting point for the movie. Because they know they've been there but the UN has not been able to go in and search them out because, of course, the warlord in Uganda at the time would not allow it. Because he doesn't want to be controlled by the government. So he's like, nope, you guys can't come in. We'll handle this ourselves. And kind of worked out good and bad. But that stuff would have been important to include. Yep. But then uh, basically I say from the... Yeah, I'd say about what? Halfway point. Um, once you get to the alien invasion and the fighting and uh, all that is basically the spectacle you want. It all looks pretty good. Obviously a CGI overload, but it, it was all pretty gripping and exciting. It could have been worse CGI overload. Yeah, definitely. I do kind of... I'm disappointed in the fact that they didn't use as many practical effects as the first movie did. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the ships, like the Tuggers, they actually built in real life. Mm-hmm. It's just that, obviously, they're not really flying. Yeah. But when it comes to like the aliens, for instance, and their biomechanical suits, in the first movie, it was a practical effect where they actually mm-hmm. made a suit and everything and had an uh, animatronic alien inside of it. Here, at least I like the fact they kept the original designs and didn't really... They altered them slightly, but only as like an update, not as a complete overhaul. Mm-hmm. But it's all CG. And I guess some of that you can chalk it to the fact that a lot of the scenes involve multiple aliens in one room. There's not too many scenes with a single alien by itself. But it still would have been nice for them to have more practical effects like yeah. that. Because that stuff always immerses you in the movie more if you mm-hmm. feel like it's real. But yeah, once you get to the action, destruction is basically everything you pay for or could expect it. Yeah, there's some really good action scenes in here. And didn't quite go the way I thought it was going to go. Mm-hmm. It was actually pretty surprising. And uh, without spoiling it, that also went kind of, they kind of cried a little too much. There's some world building on some other stuff that's surprising, but I kind of felt like the way they set up the mystery in the beginning, this conclusion, is cool, but it kind of gets lost in the shuffle because it happens in the middle of the big battle, so you're kind of like, yeah, this is cool, but you guys might all die, so <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't really get excited for this reveal right now because it's like, 
<laughs> Shit's right. in the fan right now. Right. Like, we just saw Massive Devastation. Like, humanity's on his last leg. Like, which is something I want to point out, too. There were some critics out there early on with the earlier reviews that were saying, oh, I don't feel like there was a loss of life, and I just have to ask, what movie were you watching? Because the movie I saw had, like, some yeah, Man of Steel what, times what 10 destruction. What did have loss of life, then? Because this is, this is probably the most destruction I've seen since something like Pompeii or... 2012. Yeah, even San Andreas, you didn't see... That many people get killed, you saw stuff well, fall. No, hold on, I disagree with that. Okay. San Andreas was pretty detailed. I still remember Carla Gugino running well, through the, the yeah. skyscraper and the cook got set on fire and shit. People got crushed as they were trying to escape through the stairwell. No, San Andreas was graphic. Yeah. And this movie does channel a lot of moments from movies like San Andreas because there is a similar rooftop escape scene that mm-hmm. is very reminiscent of San Andreas. Mm-hmm. And then Roland Emmerich channels his, himself throughout the movie. A phone call to from a parent to their child when they're in the middle of danger, 2012. A plane, instead of a limousine this time, a plane flying through a destruction zone, 2012. <laughs> Channing Tatum's daughter from White House Down makes an appearance in this movie. As part of a band of orphan kids that are basically trying to get to a safe zone. And although, like I said, some of that could be <laughs> Well, obviously, too, I think it was bound to be a jumbled mess concerning how long they had yeah. worked on the movie. And this movie has, like, six writers. So. Yeah, and it's not surprising because, like I told you, they had been working on this movie for at least six years, which is why when Will Smith tries to say, oh, I didn't do the movie because I had scheduling conflicts with Suicide Squad, it's like, well, bullshit, because Suicide Squad wasn't being worked on for six years. And they do, they show pictures of Will Smith like twice in the movie, but they don't really expand upon how his character died or anything like that. And I kind of think it's one of those things where they probably wrote, that's why you have six writers, because it was probably taken from multiple drafts. I'm pretty sure they had a draft that included Will Smith, and his son character working together. Mm-hmm. And then they wrote this draft where Will Smith is not in it and they have to make up an excuse for why he's not in it. Because also, too, something that I thought about, I was like, I wonder if this is one of those situations where Will Smith considered coming back and when they told him that, oh yeah, the story's going to revolve around your character and the son and you know the people from the original movie with some new people teaming up to take on the alien threat mm-hmm. again. He was like, oh yeah, so Jaden can play my son. They're like, no. He's like, well, I'm not making the movie then. Well, okay, Will. See you later. He's like, all right, you'll regret it. They're like, sure we will, Will. Kill off his character. Then Will Smith got sad. It's like, well, what did you expect was going to happen? <laughs> and I kind of think it might be that, even though the funny thing is, I think Jesse Usher looks more like Will Smith than Jaden Smith does. Yeah. <laughs> and weirdly enough, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it would have been really believable. Even though it's kind of one of those situations just like with Mae Whitman. The kid, or now the guy, that played yeah. Dylan back yeah. in the day is still alive. Yeah. He's just not, you know, buff or anything. He's like an average size. Mm-hmm. Probably not the size they would want for the movie. They're like, oh no, we need somebody who's like cover of GQ quality. So we got <laughs> Jesse I. Oh, honestly, Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> Jesse Usher. <laughs> oh, that would have been terrible, Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, you can be the illegitimate son of Jeff Goldblum. You both stammer a lot. Yeah. 
Well, um, um, he um, could have. Uh, life, uh, they oh, wait, hold put on. an Indiana movie. Jones 4 and had an uh, old chick say, Oh, yeah, uh, by the way, uh, you have a son. His name is Jesse Eisen. <laughs> so, I didn't tell you. <laughs> so, uh, I understand you're my father. Well, uh, this is awkward, as you can imagine, but uh, I think we can work through this. Seemed like a pretty good guy, maybe. See, I, I would watch that, though. Honestly, if you want to do a buddy comedy with Jeff Goldblum and Jesse Eisenberg's, like, father and son, like a road trip, I would honestly watch that. <laughs> yeah. It's not like Jesse Eisenberg been hitting, <laughs> batting 100 lately, so. Oh. <laughs> I thought Batman vs. Superman was a critical success. I guess I was wrong. <laughs> no. Didn't they have, like, a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes? No. Oh, yeah. That's some other <laughs> and movie. And now you see me. Some people seem to like it, but that... That, that movie was, was garbage. So... Even Jesse Eisenberg didn't like that movie. You can tell in his performance. He loathes the so fact that he's there. He kind of needs something new and something different, so... Yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about William Fickner is in the movie, too. Yeah. His character has a backstory that they don't expand upon nope. at all, but it was in the viral marketing, so I'm kind of like, yet another thing, like, I appreciate the creativity that you guys put into that but that's something that needs to be in the movie but then again i'll wait for the blu-ray to come out because maybe there'll be a director's cut there was a director's cut of the first movie it took them years to bring it out nah. but there was a director's cut of the first movie okay which i've seen director's cut is actually nice that was something i thought was weird too some of the characters i thought they might mention because i thought that's maybe who liam hemsworth's friend was supposed to be at first mm -hmm. until they mentioned him by now it was like no nah, that doesn't match any of the names of randy quaid's kids who was uh, in the first movie yeah you have miguel they don't like, even mention him like as one of the heroes who died it's yeah just kinda technically like... randy quaid is the one that saved <laughs> yeah. everybody not the president yeah. randy quaid sacrificed himself <laughs> yeah so but Maybe because Randy Quaid is off his fucking rocker yeah. these days. They're like, well, yeah. we better not dabble in that at all. Let's kind of yeah. try to make this a clean break. Yeah. But yeah, they don't even mention his kids. Miguel, Troy. I'm trying to remember what the girl's name was. I don't remember what her name was. But I do remember Miguel, the older brother. And Troy, the sick one, who you think just got sick that one time in the movie. But when you watch the director's cut, you find out he actually has like some kind of medical disease. I can't remember what it was. But that requires medication. Then there's a whole subplot that I guess they cut out of the original movie because they felt it was a little uncomfortable. Where Randy Quaid being a drunk all the time has taken a toll on the family. So he seems more like an asshole like when... He comes back to the mobile home park after the aliens land. The cops let him go after having him in holding. And he's like, oh, yeah, you read my mind. We got to get as far away from these things as we can. And Miguel's like, they let you out? He's like, yeah, they got bigger fish to fry now. Come on, boy. That's a theatrical cut. And the special edition is like, oh, we're leaving without you. He's like, oh, really? You forget I'm your father. What the hell do you think you're doing? It's kind of one of those situations where you're like, yeah. And Troy, being sick, throws away his medication in a fit of anger to get them to stop fighting each other. And they're like, Troy, what the hell is wrong with you? Do you know how much this stuff costs? Which is why Troy gets sick later in the movie. Ah. When he's like, I'm sick, I don't feel good. It was inevitable because he threw away his only medicine. And that was another thing when they get to Area 51 with Will Smith and the alien. One of the big things is that, of course, everybody's rushing to get the alien, but at the same time, Randy Quaid 
pulls one of the guys aside and basically holds him up by the collar saying his son needs medical attention too. And of course they also have this thing in the special edition where it turns out Vivica Fox, you think when she went to the strip club, it's like, really? You just left your son at home during all this shit? No, her son was actually in the back room at the strip club, in the dressing room. What? Yeah. That was in the special edition where I'm like, oh wow. And then I guess when she goes to leave, her boss tells her, where the hell do you think you're going? She's like, Really? It's like I'm getting the hell out of so town. So was the dog the whole time? The dog was back there too. Oh, okay. He's like, really? What the hell do you think you're doing? And then he sees that the sun's there. He's like, this isn't a fucking daycare. Well, he doesn't say a date, a fucking daycare, but he's like, what do you think this is? This is this isn't a daycare. How many times do I got to tell you you can't bring your kid in here? She's like, it doesn't matter, Marty. I quit. He's like, what? She's like, I quit. Which then it's kind of funny because when she walks out the door, Dylan's all like. Wave until I buy. Which is kind of funny. But it's stuff like that is in the special edition, so I'm kind of thinking this movie could have a special edition too, possibly. Possibly. It's Roland Emmerich after all. So. Yep, true, true. So, anything else? Want to go to ratings? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'll give this a matinee. It's a worry, it's a sensitive first one. I didn't think it had quite the same charm as the first movie, and like they kind of, like I said, need to trim some of the side characters. Trim the fat, but uh, the action is good. It has some good humorous moments. Basically, it was a good time. (laughs) So, matinee. I agree that it was a good time. I give it a matinee as well. I feel like, yes, the first one was a better movie overall. It was better structured, Mm -hmm. and it had that charm. This one, I don't think, loses all of the charm, but it loses quite a bit of it. Mm -hmm. And it's not as well structured, obviously, because they had six writers and probably went through multiple drafts. To get this movie made. So a lot of stuff was left on the cutting room forum. The stuff that they did choose to include. Without that extra stuff. Feels kind of disjointed. Like it doesn't belong. There's no proper closure to some story arcs. Because mm-hmm. they didn't expand upon them. And I don't feel like they did enough world building. But when it comes to the action. It definitely delivers. I did like a lot of the new characters. I just couldn't stand that one guy. Yeah. I can't even remember the character's name. Because I was trying to oh. look him up. But... The little guy. Was he Charlie? He basic. He looks like John. Oliver. I know Liam Hemsworth was Jake. Yeah, he looks uh, like the, the guy. Looks like John Oliver. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> and later on in the movie, he looks like Rick Moranis. That would have made this movie much better. It wouldn't have made any sense that John Oliver is Liam Hemsworth's brother, but <laughs> that wasn't his brother. Well, kind of like they grew up together. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a different guy, not oh. not Travis Tope's character. Oh, you're talking. Oh, you're talking about the the guy that was following Jeff Goldblum. Audit yeah, guy. yeah, okay. the audit guy. Yeah, I, yeah, they could have completely. He looked like John Oliver. Yeah, and lost nothing. Yeah, he's meant to be like what I call the Jake Johnson comic relief. When you saw Jurassic World last year, you had Jake Johnson, who was supposed to be like look like a mix of Dennis Nedry and Jeff Goldblum. In the control room, cracking jokes all the time. Oh, that first park was legit, and all this other stuff. He's clearly meant to be that character, and it fails pretty badly. Yeah. He's not really that funny, and I just no. found him irritating. Kind of irritating enough to where I was like, well, if they kill you off, I'm not really going to care. Yeah, then they try to force a bromance between him and the campaign, and I'm just like, 
No. Dikembe is just being modest because Dikembe is doing everything and trying to make, make it seem like you're okay. have that stereotypical thing with a foreigner where after the non-minority prison stuff, you, you are a true warrior. It's like, no, fuck you are. <laughs> like, Dikembe, you are a warrior. Like, this guy is a joke. Like, no, movie. No. no. And I thought Brett Spinner stole the show. He was my favorite character in the movie. So the fact that they left him alive, I think, did the movie a lot of good. Yeah. He brought a yeah, lot to the movie. Yeah, because if they kind of got rid of that kid, other than Goldblum and his dad, there really wouldn't have been a lot of humor. This would have been really, yeah. really and the, dry. And, and, and the thing about his humor, it's authentic humor. It doesn't feel forced. Yeah. Because you get the fun, since he's been in a coma for 20 years, you get that fun fish-out-of-water feel with it, too, where he's like, wait, did we win? Wait, we have laser guns now? You know, all this stuff that is not foreign to anybody else anymore is foreign to him. So it's kind of fun because he's coming into this world like we are. Mm. He's almost like the audience avatar. All this stuff is amazing to him, but for a different reason because he lived it and everything. Like, yeah, I would like compare it to if you got rid of the cat marketer from Warcraft. It, it would really suffer from any kind of. Well, Cadgar knew more than Oakum does. <laughs> yeah. Oakum has been in a coma for 20 years, so he doesn't know anything. Cadgar <laughs> at least has studies. But, uh, yep, that concludes our review. Once again, we are The Midnight Watch, where I'm out of it, standing on watch for you against bad movies. You can find a show by searching on iTunes for The Midnight Watch. Just look for the cluster picture and The Midnight Watch. The Constellation of Stars. Or just simply go to our main site at Pot of Theme. That's The Midnight Watch, all one word, dot And thanks for listening. Good night, everybody. Good night.